Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have moved people's hearts down the ages. We're going to see some of that this morning. And we pray that you will move ours. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin our series on Ezra and Nehemiah, I want to introduce you to uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. His forces had conquered Babylon, which had already, of course, conquered Judah and destroyed Jerusalem. Now, some of you may already know a bit about Cyrus, as the Cyrus Cylinder, I bet some of you have seen it, is in the British Museum in London. Anyway, the book of Ezra is uh, fairly easy to date because it starts with Cyrus becoming emperor. The video that we've seen from the Bible Project gave us a good introduction to Ezra and Nehemiah, so uh, I'm not going to go over that same ground today, and you'll be relieved, I'm sure, to know that I'm going to preach more briefly today than I usually do. Now, you might think, if you only had the text of Ezra, that Cyrus had somehow seen the light and become a follower of Yahweh. But we know from the Cyrus Cylinder that uh, Cyrus was actually a believer in Marduk, the Babylonian deity. However, he was quite enlightened and he respected the local beliefs of his subjects. In verse 2, as we see here, uh, where, where the king of uh, Persia says that um, it's, it's, it's okay for his people to go back to Jerusalem and uh, worship their god there. It shows that they, he respected the local beliefs of his subjects and there was something, I guess, in this verse of a bit of diplomatic courtesy going on. Cyrus tended, I suppose, spiritually. Have you met people like this? He tended to hedge his bets and curry favour with different gods, hoping for the best. Now, I want to learn a bit more about the context, and we're going to do that over the coming weeks. But if you want to look more widely into this, then I suggest you look at the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, their books. Uh, both, they were both prophets at this time, and they tell us something more. But as we go on with today's passage from Ezra, we see that Cyrus sends the first group of Jews back to Jerusalem with two important things. First, they go with permission. Uh, Ezra 1, uh, verses 2 and 3, they go with permission. Permission. Uh, he'd approved their plan to rebuild the temple. It's a bit like getting planning permission from the local authority today, I suppose. Some of us will have had that experience where you are, are in the business of applying and hoping it will come your way. But unlike permission from the local authority, this permission doesn't expire after three years. And we'll see later in Ezra that uh, it's important that uh, the permission was originally given, uh, even when it's looked back into later. A later look back in the archives reveals this when the civil servants are considering how they should respond to opposition to the rebuilding. The second thing that Cyrus gives is resources to get on with the work. Interesting this, very human. 
Uh, first, he compels other people to cough up. Verse 4, verse 6. <coughs> I like that. And then, in verse 7 and into verse 8, he coughs up himself. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah are very practical. And I find myself thinking of the uh, rebuilding project for the Church of the Good Shepherd, even as I read this. Ezra and Nehemiah contain a lot about permission and resources, and we'll see some of that over the coming weeks. Obviously, in our series, we're only going to have extracts from Ezra and Nehemiah, so I'd encourage you to read the whole of the text of those two books that originally were one, and fill in the gaps as you go along. <coughs> Speaking of gaps, we must note that Ezra himself doesn't even appear until chapter 7 of the book that bears his name. The first... <coughs> excuse me a second. The first six chapters of the book of Ezra um, are ones where Zerubbabel is returning with that first group of Jews. He's returning in 538 and putting first things first by attending to the temple. Then Ezra concentrates on the uh, worshipping community when his uh, group comes back to Jerusalem and then Nehemiah comes and concentrates on rebuilding the city walls. Now there's a lot in Ezra and Nehemiah about the way political and secular leadership interacts with spiritual leadership. Uh, in the very first verse, God moves the heart of the emperor, Cyrus, and there are spiritual consequences of that. Long before the deportation uh, and the exile and so on, the prophet Jeremiah had foretold what would happen to his people. There would be judgment, there would be disaster, which came in the form of exile. And this was a big deal for Israel. Uh, think of things like uh, Psalm 137. You might not think you do it, you know it, but you probably do. Boniam. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and so on. Uh, yes, we wept when we remembered Zion, and we wondered whether we could sing the Lord's song in a strange land. But Jeremiah also said that people should pray for the place where they got exiled to. He also looked even further ahead uh, he said that they'd back, be back home after the 70 years. And then he looked even further ahead and uh, said that one day government, God would write his covenant on their hearts and minds. Mentioned that he'd uh, predicted 70 years. Actually, the first contingent of returnees came back after only 50 or 60 years, probably. Um, and with, that's a reminder that with God, we always get more than we expect or deserve. There's also reminders in the passage today that the politics of the day are part of the way that God works in the life of his people. The picture on the screen on the left shows the tower of our parliament building. On the right it shows the west front of Westminster Abbey. These buildings are spectacular buildings and they're only about 200 metres apart a symbol, I guess, of how the church and the state are interrelated and how they interact. Things of political significance 
are often linked to and eventually have spiritual significance too. For us Christians today, I know we have a variety of feelings about our political leaders and how they're handling Brexit and so on, uh, but we should still pray for them and seek whatever is best for our nation. Now I want to finish by thinking about God's purpose and our part within it. Over five centuries after Ezra, Jesus came to declare God's rule and reign, build his kingdom and win us back as his. But the way Jesus went about it surprised most people, turned the values of the world on their head. Long before Jesus, there were hints of this. Our passage today shows that Cyrus had his own reasons uh, for doing what he did, for giving Zerubbabel the green light to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. It also shows that God had his even greater reasons. And God's reasons, of course, are the heart of the matter. God's reasons were the key to the future of his people. The passage starts in verse 1 with God stirring the heart of King Cyrus. It continues in verse 5 with God stirring the hearts of a, of a remnant of his people. I wonder, is God stirring you right now? If he is, it's probably not just about practical things. God usually goes deeper than that. Remember a verse that we often quote, particularly in the context of our rebuilding project at Cogs, unless the Lord builds the house, then the builders labour in vain. There's something spiritual, something deeper that's important, God being at work. So this week, I want you to take time to reflect on how God is stirring you. And as we get started with Ezra and Nehemiah, I pray that God will stir you and prompt you to respond. Let's pray now. Thank you, Lord, that you are at work. Thank you that sometimes you do it in ways that um, we could never have foreseen and uh, are quite hard to see you at work sometimes in such ordinary things of daily life. But you are, and you work through those. Lord, we're sorry for the times when you've prompted us and we haven't responded. And uh, we don't hear you stirring our heart. We pray, please, that you will keep us open to you. And uh, help us to choose, prompt us to choose, uh, to put you first in all things. So your kingdom will come. In Jesus' name. Amen.